What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, there are some universal words we all learn growing up. Three of them are please, sorry, thanks. You know, we think about that. That's something we all need to learn. We need to teach our children. But we never, ever, ever think about how powerful those words are in life and leadership. And that's what we're going to unpack today on this episode of Lunch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to welcome you to episode 168 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. And it's been such a fun start to 2023, hasn't it? We've had so many amazing guests. This review just came in on iTunes about the episode with Coach Gary Gilmore, and it said, Great listen. As someone who was blessed with the opportunity to play for Gilead Coastal, I can attest to how much he lives out what he preaches in this episode in regards to leading from the heart with love. Gilly continues to have an incredible impact on my life as a young coach, a husband, and most importantly, a man of faith. Very thankful that Mike was able to record this conversation and appreciate everything he does for me and so many others. God bless. Thank you, Coach. It means the world, Coach Bonseller, that you took the time to leave that rating and review. And I know you are a picture of why Gilly coaches. And, uh, man, it's fun watching you grow into who God is creating you to be. And really, it, it's a great picture of the genesis of this podcast. The whole goal of it was if I could stick a microphone down at a table and have a lunch with a great leader, what would I want everybody to hear? Well, that's lunch with a leader. Today, we get to stick a microphone down and talk to one of the names in our country most of us know, Mark Batterson. He's the pastor of National Community Church. He's a best-selling author of The Circle Maker, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, and now this newest book, Please, Sorry, Thanks. I thought he had hit the jackpot when he wrote Win the Day, but this one is so vital, and it is so good to our souls and to our life and leadership as parents, as as leaders in our businesses and on the ball fields and in our churches. You're gonna you're gonna get a fun one today. Mark is just kind. He is just a winsome personality and it comes through in this interview. So I don't know where you're listening from, but I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen into my conversation with Mark Batterson. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me again on Lynch with a Leader. It is always a blast to have you. <laughs> it's good to be back. And uh, we, we got a little bit of life and leadership to catch up on. We do have a lot of life and leadership to catch up on. And I was telling you before we went on, I think, and you've, you, you've written so many great books. I think this is your best one. What What was the inspiration behind Please, Sorry, Thanks? Well, I probably have to tip my cat, my hat to my mom and dad. I mean, they taught me about these three magic words, please, sorry, thanks. But 
you know, with the book, I wanted to really make them uh, a lifestyle. The, the premise is pretty simple, Mike. If you're good at please, sorry, and thanks, you are good to go. That's right. You're, you're going to have a great work culture. Your marriage is going to have a strong foundation. Uh, you're going to have a good relationship with God. It, uh, it, it really, those three words are almost three postures. Are mm. they not? You know, please is kind of this this open-handed posture. Sorry is really a posture of humility that yep. hey, I'm human. I make mistakes, but I I I I uh, fess up when I mess up, <laughs> and and then and then thanks, man. People that are really good at thanks. Why is it that that flywheel of gratitude just right. keeps sending them gifts? because they don't take it for granted. So I, I'm just excited because we find ourselves in a cultural moment mm. where I feel like these three words uh, are critical, that if we could get a little bit better at please, sorry, and thanks, we, we would regain some of our civility. And, uh, and I think we would uh, get a lot closer to uh, – the, the kind of country, the kind of workplace, the kind of church, uh, you name it, the kind of family that we want to have. You know, it's so funny. You, you made a statement there early in the book. You talked about we need a revival of politeness. Why is it so important that Christ followers, the majority of people listening to the podcast, whether they're in the coaching world or they're in the business segment, why does politeness say so much about the Jesus we say we follow. Yeah, let's let's dive into the deep end, Mike. Th this this is there are kind of two two places you can land. One is to see people who are not part of your in group, who don't look like you, think like you, and I hope it's okay for me to even say this. Might not vote like you. Mm -hmm. You can see them as a common enemy and demonize anybody that's different from you. But I don't think that scripture allows us to do that. We believe in common humanity. We have a theology of dignity because each one of us is made in the image of God. So the image of God in me greets the image of God in you. I'm not allowed to cancel you because mm. you are invaluable and irreplaceable. And, and so, Mike, I have two rules of life. Uh, whenever I meet anybody, one, every person is my superior in some way, in that I learn of them. So I want to come with a humble posture. And what what do I have to learn from Mike? I want to learn from Mike. I know you're interviewing me, but don't be surprised if I flip a question <laughs> because I, I want to learn from you and from your leadership. And and then the second rule of life is everyone's fighting a battle I know right. nothing about. So maybe just maybe. I need what my counselor would call non-anxious curiosity mm. about people that get under my skin. If you want to understand someone, you have to stand under and you have to listen long enough to really understand. And you may not agree, and maybe we'll get to four principles of peacemaking. Um, you may not agree, but there is a way to stand in that gap gracefully. And and maybe we double back to that, but that's kind of off the cuff. Um, I, I believe in common humanity and the image of God. 
And that means I have to treat you with honor and respect. It could change everything. That's the crazy part. It could change everything. And I think, you know, when you think about it, if he left us here as ambassadors and and to be on mission, living sent for him, I think that's what he would want. That's the, that's the desire. You tell a great story early in the book about the governor of Massachusetts going through a lie. It's, a, it's such a great story. <laughs> yeah. So a person might say, well, if somebody wants to be a leader, why would they, why would they even need to say please to somebody serving them? Unpack that story for the listeners a little bit and why you think that is how you lead. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a hilarious story about Christian Herder, uh, former governor of Massachusetts. He he was on the campaign trail, went to a church picnic barbecue, and asked for two pieces of chicken. And uh, you know the lady the lady was like, "Nope, one per person." And and it was kind of one of those moments like, "Do you don't you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state." And uh, lady says, uh, "Well." I'm the lady in charge of the chicken, mister. Now move along. (laughs) Um, You know, none of us wants to be told Mm. what to do. We we don't want to be told what to think either. Uh, A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Mm. I I just don't think you gain ground. In, In fact, that is a danger with apologetics that if it if all it is is an argument. No one wins. Uh, I think there has to be a, a kindness mm. that comes with the way that we do what we do. And that might be a little bit of a tangent, but Romans 2, 4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So when God wants us to change, he shows us kindness. And if that doesn't work, shows us more kindness. And if that doesn't work, shows us more kindness. And so part of this is the law of reciprocity. It's the golden rule that treat others the way that you want to be treated. And Mike, like in real time, in real leadership, if you're a boss that no one likes, if you're a coach or a pastor or a CEO, or you lead the, if people don't like you, you are just not going to get their best effort. Right. Come on, this is this is this is leadership one hundred and one. That uh, there's something about a genuine please, sorry, and thanks that that people want to perform for that kind of leader. Has that been hard for you to keep in perspective when Mark was growing and you're planning your church in DC? Of course you're willing to do anything because you're trying to put food on the table and get some people to show up on Sundays. And now, I mean, you are known across the country. People in DC know you, you guys have a footprint in the city. What have you had to do as a leader to keep that perspective that people aren't there to serve me, that I am truly still here. Like I was when I was in my twenties to serve them. What have you had to do as a leader to keep that in perspective? Well, in the book, I share 
one of the few dreams that I have remembered and one of the few dreams that I don't attribute to what I ate the night before. And it's, it's this moment where it was like a really quick dream. And I, I, I saw, um, pilot washing his hands. Mm. And that's a moment that I think most people would be familiar with. In other words, um, I'm not responsible for this. Uh, and, um, I, I heard what I perceived to be the voice of God saying, don't wash your hands like pilot, wash feet like Jesus. Mm. I wake up and Mike, when you reach the highest level of leadership, do you know what you get to do? You get to wash feet. <laughs> like, like to me, leadership is all about relinquishing more That's and right. more and more of your rights. If you believe that the greatest of all is the servant of all, then I have to set that example for the people that, that I get to lead. I can't expect them to have more of a servant's heart than I have. And so I just think it's really important that, that leaders um, have to be willing to stay late after an event and, and clean up, have to be willing to everybody, for everybody to go through the lunch line before they do. To me, leadership is about relinquishing rights. And I, I just, not, I am, I am more allergic to celebrity culture creeping into the church than I am just about anything. There's just no place for it. Um, Let's honor each other, but listen, there, there, there's only one celebrity. We live for the applause of nail scarred hands. Mm. (laughs) This, it is not about me. It's about Jesus. And if you, if you get off there, um, you're in trouble because it's yeah. going to lead you to a place where your ego's going to get all messed up. And then, and then the problem is our, our individual insecurities become organizational dysfunctions mm-hmm. and, and then everything's off. All the dynamics are off. So as a leader, uh, you've got to operate out of a spirit of humility if you're going to lead the way that Jesus did. And that even applies at home. And you talk a lot about that, even in there using please, creating that posture within you. What does it do as a father? So let's speak to the dads. And I know you love being a dad and a husband. What does saying please, even to your kids, you are their superior, you are their authority, why is using the word please even disarming within the home? Yeah, it, on a large scale, Mike, I want my kids to operate out of intrinsic motivation. Mm. I, I want them to be inside out people that have sanctified desires and do the right thing for the right reasons. If all I'm doing as a parent is trying to impose, uh, even my values on my kids, it, it's it might backfire. Like mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. to find a way to enable them to re-own it. And, and part of that is them making some mistakes, making some of their own decisions. And uh, th- there's nothing easy about that. But I, I think kids, kids don't respond 
Well, we all know, like sometimes you just have to use reverse psychology because <laughs> kids just don't want to be told what to do. That's so right. one way to put the ball in their court is to give them options, is to mm -hmm. empower them. And then at some point, Mike, to trust the Holy Spirit in them Amen. and and to believe that they have a conscience that they can allow to be their guide as opposed to me helicopter parenting all the time. And all of that's easier said than done. But but that's part of my my framework uh, as a leader and as a father. Your spiritual father, you, you share a great story in the book about your spiritual father teaching you about there's two kinds of people in the world. That's fantastic. Share that with everybody because that is a phenomenal two statements to put away in the toolbox. Yeah, the first kind of person walks into a room and internally announces, here I am. And let's be honest, their ego barely fits through the mm. door. It's all about me, myself, and I. But then there's a second kind of person that walks through that door and says, there you are. Mm. It's all mm. about everybody else. They check their ego at the door. It's about adding value to other people. And you know, nothing is more unimpressive than someone who is trying to impress people. That's so and true. nothing is more impressive than someone who isn't trying to impress anybody. I mean, Mike, I and it's one reason why I love you and love coming on the podcast. Like, you're down to earth. Like, mm -hmm. we, the world needs more leaders that just aren't overly impressed with themselves, just just trying to lead day in and day out and doing it in a down-to-earth way that is really more about everybody else. And so uh, imagine an organization, be it a church or a car dealership mm -hmm. or a school or anything else where when people walk in the door, there you are. Kind of, kind of like you've been waiting for them, and and oh, it's so good to see you. How are you? Really, how are you? And and how can I serve you and bless you? And when you get that kind of culture, it it becomes pretty contagious. You can't keep people away from that kind of culture. And that's so. What I love about this, Mark, and we talked about the simplicity of it. That's something anybody can do. And it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start going, you know what? I may be 60 years old, but I want my last years to be this. What keeps people from doing something that's so simple? Yeah, I think if we're being honest, when we're born, the world revolves around us. Mm. Uh, we get our diapers changed. Uh, we get fed, and and that is as it should be because we we need someone to do that. At some point, I believe that people need to experience what I would call a Copernican revolution. Uh, they need to realize, newsflash, world doesn't revolve around you. Uh, it's not even about you. Uh, and And that's when we're on the path towards happiness. Mm. Like happiness never happens by trying to get your needs met, by trying to kind of orchestrate the world around you so that everybody serves uh, your every whim. Like it's just, 
happiness is not going to be the the net result. And so you have a moment where it becomes about other people. That's right. Uh, Jesus said uh, that joy is found on the giving side of life. It's greater to give than it is to receive. And if if we ever got a hold of that, then we would have people who are trying to outgive each other. Uh, and, and I don't just mean financially. I mean uh, giving people your attention, giving people your time, e- even giving people eye contact. Isn't it funny, Mike? Like some of this stuff is, uh, is I-, I like to say, it's not rocket surgery. That's which right. is my fun combination <laughs> of uh, <laughs> rocket science and brain surgery. That um, can I just say one of my favorite moments in the Gospels is when Peter denies Jesus three times, mm-hmm. and the rooster crows, and the text of Scripture is very specifically. It says Jesus looks straight at Peter. Mm-hmm. Now. He didn't say anything because if he had, he would have been calling him out as one of his followers and Peter would have been on the cross with Jesus. I think what Jesus was doing was look at me, look at me, Peter, come on, come on, look at me. You're going to beat yourself up. You're going to give up on yourself. I am not giving up on you. Come on, lock eyes with me. I'm not giving up on you. There's something powerful about a leader that just, is really good at eye contact. Have you, Mike, is there anybody, can I flip it? Is there anybody in your life that's like, that's really good when you're with them? It's like, there's no one else on the planet. I don't know if you have anybody like that. I've got so many like that. And you love being with them because it's always life-giving. And it doesn't matter if they came to meet with you or you went to meet with them you leave full from the time with them. And it's that engagement. It's that yes. nobody else in the room. It's like time stands still for that amount of time and you have their full undivided attention. And it is, it is a unique gift that God gives some people, but they are a blessing. They are a blessing. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. And I think that's one of the things that makes you so engaging, Mark, is that you and, you know, I guess after one of our interviews, you did a time with our staff and they still talk about that and the time. And it was on zoom during the crazy pandemic that we all had, but yet everybody felt like they were sitting. You were so present. They felt like you were with them. It was a, it's a gift. It is a gift Mm -hmm. you've been given and it comes through in your writing. It comes through in your writing big time. Well, let's do, let's do that again, Mike. Let's do it. That was awesome. I love it. You, you told a great story, and it's so funny. The book by R.T. Kendall, yes. that is one of the top five greatest books I've ever read in my life through a, a series that we went through just in our own personal lives that we walked through. And, and reading his book on forgiveness, on total forgiveness, why is it so important, Mark, and I thought it was so interesting you hit this. Why is it so important for a person to handle this forgiveness, to be able to extend please, sorry, and thanks to other people if they don't have that internal piece of their lives right? Talk a little bit about that conversation with Dr. Kendall 
and why it's so critical that we get this forgiveness thing right. Yeah. Well, he, he, it was one of those instances where there was someone that he just could not bring himself to forgive. And someone spoke the truth in love and said, you must totally forgive them, which is not the answer he wanted. Um, I, I, here's what happened. I think over a couple of years, Mike, I had accumulated some seeds of bitterness, some frustration uh, in leadership. And you can't lead for very long and not encounter that. Like that just is life and reality. But I was actually in a counseling session and my my counselor said, I want I want you to go through a forgiveness exercise. And I was like, sure. Like I'm thinking, I'll take five minutes. We're, we'll be done. Like there's, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. And wow. When I really asked the Holy spirit to reveal mm-hmm. to me anything or anyone I needed to forgive a couple hours later, I, I realized that there were things, um, last week, last year, some things that just popped up from like seven years ago, like, Whoa, I think I let that stay in my spirit. And I went through this process of um, cutting the cord. And, mm. you know, I kind of write a little bit in the book, and we we don't need to deep dive it, but I really believe that the act of forgiveness probably needs to be a daily exercise because Amen. you only have two options. Whatever you don't confess, you will repress and whatever you repress will depress, like it, it will become a weight in your spirit. And so um, one of the most practical pieces of advice I could give that, that kind of then is a next level is who, who, who do you love the most? You'll pray for them naturally. Who do you like the least? That's who you need to be praying for. That's right. And and what what that will allow you to do, and this kind of goes back full circle and sort of ties off the knot. When I am praying for someone, I can look them in the eye, Mike. But if all I'm doing is gossiping about them behind their back, if all I'm doing is expressing frustration about them to other people, you know what's interesting? I really have a hard time looking those people in the eye. That's a good word. And it's really weird. There's something about our physiology that is tied to our psychology, which is tied to our theology. And so when I'm praying for someone, I, I can look them in the eye and there's nothing between us. And it's so critical that that as a leader, um, that I am really forgiving anyone and everyone who who says something that is hurtful. And so then, then what that requires, I think, um, is I now have a very curious reaction to people that overreact. And this is a lot of that second part of the book that your reactions are going to reveal a lot about who you are when you're overreacting pay attention to it because there's there's something there that might be unresolved or that might be unforgiven and that that trigger may be thing that you need to trace that trail and figure out what is causing that reaction um 
in in my life and in my leadership. As you write, and even as you begin to unpack, you talked about it is a work. It is a work and a labor of love to do this. As you did it, and you look back on your life and leadership as a as a church planner, as a dad, as a husband, as a leader of leaders, saying please or saying sorry, which of those came most natural to you, and which of them is more of a work in progress? Oh, the, to me, sorry is the hardest. <laughs> um, but it's really strange. The longer I lead the more easily I admit being wrong. Mm, It's just, mm. well, of course, I'm wrong all the time. Uh, There's something that I'm just, the need to be right um, is less and less important to me. Uh, And I I think, you know, I kind of, this makes me chuckle, but with with my wife, Laura, Laura, uh, especially early in marriage, we had quite a bit of conflict. Um, we, we got married. We were 22 and 20. We were kids. I mean, my prefrontal cortex wasn't even fully developed when I got married. So, you know, we were trying to figure out who we were That's individually right. as well as who we were as a couple. So, you know, what would happen, we would get in these arguments and then eventually, Mike, I would just apologize but I had no idea what I was apologizing for. I just wanted the argument to end. And Laura would call me on it. She would say, well, what are you sorry for? And and what I realized is that I was offering a lot of empty apologies. That's right. And if all you do is offer empty apologies, you're going to be right back in the same place of conflict. And, and so with our kids, we didn't let them get by with that. Can you put into words exactly what are you sorry about? Let's make sure we understand. And so sorry is is hard emotionally. And then it's really hard to kind of reverse engineer and figure out exactly what you're sorry about. But I, I think that one is uh, is a lesson that I'm still still learning at many years of leadership. But uh I, I think please came a little bit easier for me than sorry. It's so funny when I was reading that, I was thinking about my wife and I were 22 and 21. And okay. so I will always just say, I'm sorry. Just, I don't want to just, and I got in more trouble for saying I was sorry than I did for what we started with in the first place. I'm like, I, you know, yep. I don't really know what to do here, but it's empty. <laughs> and you know, you don't think about it, but it is an empty apology. It meant, it meant nothing. So when you do mean sorry, it doesn't even come across right. And you said something yeah. really interesting. You said selfish people never say they're sorry. They never say it. Why won't, <laughs> why does it reveal selfishness at the end of the day? Yeah, because you you are naive enough to think that it actually is everyone mm. else's fault. Good. I, I have kind of two. If you imagine bowling with bumpers, do you remember with the kids when we would bowl with bumpers so that there were no, uh, you know, no one was throwing it into the gutter? My two bumpers are when things go bad, don't play the victim. Mm. And when things go good, don't play God. That's so good. I I think you you have to... um, 
you just <laughs> you can't play either of those cards or or it's a non-starter. Um, I, I would say one more thing about sorry, Mike, and this this G- Jesus sets the bar with all of these. I mean, but there's no greater moment of forgiveness than Jesus hanging on a cross mm. and saying about those who had nailed them there, nailed him there, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, how do you offer forgiveness in that moment? And if Jesus can forgive those who nailed him to a cross, then we don't have a leg to stand on. We we have to forgive. Now I want to be careful here. and, And I try to nuance this in the book. Like if you're in, uh, an abusive relationship, if you're in a situation like Jesus also said, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Like don't, don't foolishly put yourself in a place where you're going to get hurt over and over and over again. Like newsflash, the the great commandment is three-dimensional, not two. That's right. Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. But then we leave off the last little part as yourself. And so I would say that the hardest person to forgive, Mike, is the guy that looks back at me in the mirror every night. Like, I have a hard time forgiving myself. So let's show ourselves a little bit of grace, the same kind of grace that God shows us. Because if if you don't like yourself, it's hard to love other people. And so there there is some uh, healing that needs to happen. Uh, and some wholeness that needs to happen for us to really be able to to say sorry to others. I agree. And I think that the last word of thanks drives all the others. And you said it in here. You said gratitude's the engine room of your family's core values. Why does pausing to be able to say thanks, whether it's someone who held the door for you, somebody that served you at the at the fast food, uh, or the Lord, when you're pausing in the morning, you're looking outside and you hear nature and you did such a great job talking about how all of nature sings it out. Why is pausing to say thanks the driver of everything? Yeah, well, whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pride. Mm. And so we we could start right there. I would say that those 10 lepers that Jesus healed, really only one of them was fully healed. And it's the one who came back and said, thanks. The the other nine were healed physically, but they weren't healed of ingratitude. And so I, I just don't think joy is getting what you want. I think it's appreciating what you have. Amen. And it's interesting to me, Mike, that an Orthodox Jew would pronounce 100 blessings a day. And, and the Talmud says that whenever you receive a blessing, if you fail to thank God, it's as if you have stolen that blessing from God. And so I just wonder how many of us shoplift from God every single day. Some of us, grand larceny like we are guilty of of literally stealing all of these blessings and never giving thanks to the 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 one who is the giver of every good mm. gift and so i 
I want gratitude to become like the art form of my life. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to just get better and better and better at saying thanks. And, and that's true horizontally, but it's also true vertically. And so, you know, I, I think it maybe starts with a gratitude journal. Uh, I, I write down my gratitudes and number them. And then Laura and I do uh, a Sabbath from Sunday night to Monday night because we pastors. So right. uh, we start that Sabbath by sharing gratitudes. And it just sets the tone. It, it just is a, it's a posture that, oh, we are so blessed. And and we are blessed to bless. And so um, ho- hopefully in the book, you know, share some practical things that don't don't feel like you have to go out and do 17 things different. That's right. Uh, the reality is, um, if, if you gratitude journal the right way, that one practice could totally change uh, your mindset, your outlook. Uh, it really does become the foundation for how we treat other people and how we relate to God. So I, I think it's huge. You at the close of that chapter, Mark, and we'll we'll finish off with this question. I remember watching you on the internet back when you were doing cribs videos back in the day. <laughs> those are those are those were hilarious, by the way. They were. Yeah. They were. They were they were they were they were they would be TikTok famous right now. You would you guys would be stroking it on you wouldn't be writing books. You'd be making TikTok videos. <laughs> but we've been on this parallel journey all these years. You've been in DC. We've been here in Atlanta. We both planted and been 20 uh, we're 25, almost 26 years old. You guys are about the same. Kids yep. are growing up. You said something, the intersection of two theologies, the faithfulness of God is pursuing us from the past and the sovereignty of God is setting us up for the future. As you look back on Mark Batterson's journey, what are you most thankful for? What is it that God has surprised you most with that when you can pause and really frame it in that rearview mirror of God's faithfulness? What is it you want to say thanks to God most for? Yeah, um, I, I think it's the the last little piece of the twenty third Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I think I'm grateful for the God who runs after us, who mm-hmm. never gives up on us. Um, when my oldest son was a little guy, Mike, he told us one day that he was going to run away from home. And I think I totally confused him because I said, that's fine, but I'm going with you. Mm. And he didn't know what to do with that. (laughs) And so, you know, as well as I do that, that term follow probably is a weak translation from the Hebrew. It's the, it's the word radaf. It's a hunting term. Mm. In other words, God, is on your tail, is on your trail. He is hunting you down. Why? To reveal his goodness and mercy. And so you can run from God your entire life, but if you turn around, you're going to see a God with arms wide open. So mm. when I look in the rearview mirror, and you you know that the way I define faithfulness is not not so far so good, it's so far so God. That's right. Let's make sure we give God the credit. 
But when I look back, I just see the way he orders our footsteps. I see the way that he prepares good works in advance, that we don't have to manufacture miracles. We don't have to manipulate circumstances. I, I think we can trust that he is Jehovah Nisi, the God who goes before us, got our banner. And, and so I look back, Mike, and uh, years and years of life and leadership just put a smile on my face because God is so patient. He's so merciful. Uh, he's so good. And uh, I just see him at every turn. And then that gives me confidence for the future that the best is yet to come. What a guy. You know, every time I'm with Mark, I am just overwhelmed by his amazing kindness. It comes out in his writings. It comes out in his speaking. It is who he is, and he just exudes the love of Jesus in everything that he puts out. It really is amazing. This book is just one you want to get. It is so, so good. Thank you, Mark Batterson, for blessing our souls and making us better leaders and people. Well, we're going to continue on this trend of just great leaders as we get to sit down with Joby Martin. Pastor Joby pastors the Great Church 1122 down in Jacksonville, Florida. You may not know him. It is truly one of America's greatest churches, and the way that God has used Pastor Joby in leaders' lives and in people's lives is amazing. He has written two great books. One we'll glance at a little bit, but really this interview is going to be more about who he is as a person, who he is as a leader, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Well, if you've enjoyed our time together today, if you could go do what Coach Sponseller did and leave a rating and review, it would mean a ton to me and uh, to future listeners that find their way to us by you doing that. Thanks again for joining today. Now go be the leader that you were created to be in the spaces and the places that God has put you. And let's make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.